People of the world, hello and welcome to the Brothers Talk with your hosts, Rod, Scott, and Norm, where our purpose is a simple one. Tune into our weekly podcast each Friday, wherever you listen to your favorite programs or on this website to hear us, three black, unfiltered African-American men with no strings attached, giving voice as the most feared, most misunderstood, and most rarely heard from segment of the population on topics of interest to us for education, enlightenment, and entertainment. To reach us with your comments, questions, and suggestions, we're at The Brothers Talk on Twitter, The Brothers Talk on Instagram, the Facebook group of the same name, and if you care to share in more detail, hit us up at the email address, thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. Also, stay tuned for details about our upcoming news and perspective show on Millennium TV's M24 streaming news station. Here we are again on the Brothers Talk, and we welcome you back into the mix with us. We are so glad to have you to be a part of this ongoing conversation about the things that make us think critically, the things that keep us focused on the the issues at hand. And so we are glad to be here with you one more time. And our offer still stands for those who took issue with our portrayal of Black Republicans, that if you do want to come on and defend your position, we'd be more than happy to have you come into the mix and share your concerns. We are continuing to invite you to as well to join our groups on Facebook, which are now over 3,300 strong, relaunching Black Wall Street nationwide, hashtag Black Dollars Matter, and the Brothers Talk. So we are in the mix. And once again, before we get started with our special guest for this week, here are Scott and Norm. Family, I hope that you're continually trying to identify and support black businesses and do everything that you possibly can to get yourself ready and go out there and vote. And I just want to say black on black love. That's all we got. Peace. And so our guest this week is Kevin Jiggets, who has a fascinating biography. He is a decorated U.S. Marine Corps veteran. Purple Heart recipient, former corrections officer, has more than 20 years experience as an actor on TV, in film, and in theater, and is the author of the colorfully named new book, Stop Your Effing Whining, where he really focuses on us being more motivated to get out of our own way and be more productive. So we are awfully glad to have him in the mix. And so, Kevin, why don't you go ahead and tell our audience a little bit more about yourself? Um, I, I do listen to the podcast, so I'm not one to, you know, come on somebody's show and say, well, this is a great show, but this is a great show. And I appreciate the necessary thoughts that you guys are offering to the community. My name is Kevin Jiggets. I am, um, as Rod said, a decorated U.S. Marine. Learned a lot before the age of 20. And my book, um, Stop Your Effing Whining and Do the Damn Thing, is about uh, not just for Black people, just for everybody. Get it together. because we have a lifespan. And for me, I want to be one of those people at the end of my life on my deathbed. I want to look around the room and just shake some hands and say, thank you for this incredible ride. And at my age right now, I'm, I probably got another maybe 30, 40 years. So that's who I am. I'm Kevin Jiggis, and it's good to meet all of you. So we're glad to have you in the mix. And so as we started our conversation talking about how uh, there is a dearth of critical thinking that goes on in the Black community. And this is the Brothers Talk, where we like to focus on the kind of things that men are thinking. And so one of the things that has been 
continually concerning to us is the diversion away from a lot of the issues around Black Lives Matter by TV sports, that there's story after story now that displaces any of the focus that used to be on the ongoing protests that are still happening out there. And so what are your thoughts about how we have allowed ourselves to once again be tools of the mainstream power brokers to utilize our talents and abilities to distract away from the critical issues in our community. You know, several years ago, uh, during the um, the whole Colin Kaepernick kneeling thing, I was very clear uh, to my friends, um, and I didn't know you then, but Scotty included, I was very clear that it was a peaceful protest against um, the racial injustice and especially uh, uh, police brutality against people of color in, in this uh, country. And the game the other night, um, just last night, two nights ago, it was really interesting watching the NFL because I'm a big NFL person. Just the dialogue, Black Lives Matter, has got to continue because for too many years, I mean, this kind of thing, it will start and then it will die down. And it, I think it's important that not just Black people, but all people just stay involved right now to to for change. I, I just, everybody stays involved because Black Lives Matter became all lives matter after the fact. But if we stay involved for Black Lives Matter and all people get involved, then we can make a difference. So that's my thought on that. Uh, it was a peaceful protest and now it has come full circle. And everybody, I think everybody's thinking about it now. People care about that kneeling now. And as and you know, and not, I'm just having too many thoughts right now, but as a, um, as a Purple Heart recipient and a combat veteran, I stand for the national anthem. and. It, I serve this country and I believe in what that flag of America is supposed to mean. We've been duped, but I'm an American. And I like how you said that, what it's supposed to mean, because in essence, not only were, and we always say thank you so much for your service, because you know you were there on the front lines doing things that many of us wouldn't have the kind of bravery or courage to do. And a big part of that service is about the freedoms that are supposed to be afforded to us as citizens, as you said, supposed to be in the right to protest. As you said, Colin Kaepernick, indeed, was leading a silent protest, not against the flag, but against mm -hmm. the conditions that Blacks in this country continue to experience. And so all that any of those protests are about is our trying to get to the place where we're afforded the same kinds of rights and privileges as every other citizen, particularly our white brethren and sisters. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Kevin, I, I, I have a couple of questions about your book, but I wanted to make a comment about what you just said. I mean, I appreciate the fact that you emphasize that, you know, you stand for the flag, you're an American, you're a Marine Purple Heart recipient, but you also told your friends, you understood what the kneeling was all about that it wasn't, you know, disrespecting the flag or, you know, uh, some people kind of tied that all together, but I'm glad you, uh, you, you emphasized that. About your book, I just wanted to talk about, well, you talk a little bit about your journey, like what, what brought you to, finally brought you to writing this book. You know, there are things that happen in our life. And we talked about it before the show started, uh, Scotty, about uh, how things come to us and we don't act on them. And when I met you like 20, so, 20 or so years ago, that's when I started thinking about this book because I have a very low tolerance 
for whiners and complainers. I just, because I grew up with it. And I just, especially after being in the Marine Corps, where you get everything done yesterday morning, um, I just, I have a low tolerance of that. And to back that up, I, I know how you can die. You can die in combat if you think too hard. And in the civilian world, I think if you think too much and you don't act soon enough, you can die. And a lot of times they'll get to be 80, 90, 100 years old and look back in their lives and say, I could have, would have, should have. I wish I had. And I just, I'm not about that. And if that's your, if that's your mantra, you can keep it over there because I don't, I don't do that well. I'm just keep your, your drama over there because I got to focus on Kevin Jiggins. You know what I mean? I got to keep Kevin Jiggins and his wife, his family safe and just do the best I can for be the best shining example of, of, of a black human being and American. You know what I mean? So that, that's what made me write the book. I just yeah, got so tired so of it, man. Well, I just had a little follow up question. How has oh. the book been received? You know what? When I released it back in 2014, it was, um, and you can check out some reviews on Amazon, Amazon verified purchases, people I've never met before. It was really well received, did well like the first six months. And then, you know, it kind of fell off, but it's coming back. It's been revised and it's now on audio. So let me say this. A lot of times in our communities, we don't read. We've gotten away from reading. And I think it's important that we start to pick up books and learn how to form words or formulate words and put sentences together. But for, for those who don't read, it's, it's on audio as well. But we've been pushing uh, authorship and readership on this show quite a bit because one of the things that we learned years ago was that the justice system actually uses uh, our kids reading level meaning black kids reading level as a way to forecast how many jail cells they're going to need in other words if a child is not reading at the third grade level by the time they reach fourth grade they project out and figure 10 years from that time, that's how many jail cells they're going to need to support the prison industrial complex. So it does amplify the role of reading. And so we cannot stress enough for our kids the need to read whatever. We tell them, read it. If you're reading bubblegum cards or read it all, <laughs> newspaper or whatever it is, just read because yeah. it is really a measurement of something that will help you out going forward. Absolutely. Jig, back to your journey in publishing this book mm -hmm. and writing this book. Uh, what can you say to people in terms of you always hear people say that you should write a book and all of us got at least one book in us. And so right. you actually wrote your book mm -hmm. and some of us hadn't gotten to that point yet. You know, we started to stop. What can you say to people about your journey in terms of getting this done? What was the most difficult part about it? This whole process in getting your book done? Well, you know what? Let me let me let me check. Chapter eight in the second part of the book, it says baby steps. You have to take baby steps. So what I did in the baby steps, and I explained why most of my sections are dated um, and the dates are spread out because it took several years to write it. Um, I would write when I felt motivated. If I had like a bunch of coffee in me one day, I would go down to the park, down to Haynes Point in Washington, D.C., and I just write for like three hours and just a little bit at a time a little bit at a time. Everybody, you know, most people want to rush to the finish line, but you have to see it and you have to walk to it. So you can't rush all the time. So it took me a few years to write that book. And then once I got it done, I had all these pages, all these words and everything and all the Microsoft words and all that kind of stuff. Then I had to look into um, getting it formatted to this size, which I, I forget what this size, but it's kind of standard um, paperback and word count and all that kind of stuff. And I had like several editors to read it. And that process took, you know, once I felt it was done, 
it still wasn't done. That took like another month, month and a half till I felt like it was done. And then after reading it several thousand times, I sent it to, uh, because it's, it's self-edited and everything, self-published. I did everything myself. This is all my own money. And I got my first copy of it back in 2014. I think it's February, March, 2014. And I was the happiest guy in the world just to see a book that with all my words in it that I had done. And um, it, like I said, you know, as I told um, Norm earlier, it did good the first like six or eight months. And then it just kind of died out and I just kind of let it go. Just it would do some stuff. And when I got out to California and I've been out here for four years now, but two and a half years ago, and I said, well, you know, let's resurrect this thing. Let's see. And uh, no, I tell you what happened. I saw and don't throw stones at me, guys, but I saw a psychic <laughs> in Arizona and <laughs> she said, I think you got something with that book. I said, well, you know what? I'm going to re-release that. So I went into the studio and um, and I, I recorded it and, you know, just here we are again with it. So that's my journey with the book, Scotty. And I guess my point is for everybody who's got a book out there or some kind of journey is baby steps one day, one moment at a time until you come and think about it. If you if you're thinking about a book and you write one page a day for 365 days, you look at that book. You got 365 pages to go back and edit. You got a book. Even if you skipped, uh, you go every other day, every three days, you still got a, a book at the end of a year. And, and we want to rush the gate. Take your time. I took my time. This took several years to write. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm good, actually. I was going to kind of just uh, just bust on you a little bit. That it took <laughs> oh, you so please long. do. <laughs> it, it, it took you so long to write a book. Tyler, what you waiting for? Just do the damn thing. Well, you know what? Again, um, I talk about it in the book. I, I got distracted. Uh, people get distracted. And um, I fell in love. So that, that screwed me around. And just and then I, you lose months. <laughs> then you go back into it and you lose a couple more months. And you go, That's why it took so long, Norm. <laughs> well, you see the irony there. I do. <laughs> I do. But, but, but Norm, it's done. It's done. <laughs> yeah, I just thought I'd point out the irony there. No, no, I'm glad you did. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, the uh, fact that, that you really put the emphasis on people taking more accountability and responsibility, because that is really at the core what we feel is symptomatic of a loss of the ability to process information mm -hmm. that in essence, what it takes is really being able to follow a plan, you know, and in order to follow a plan, you got to first develop a plan. You got to begin by analyzing where you are and then decide to really put the pedal to the metal and pursue your objectives. Mm -hmm. And so if nothing else, your book can certainly serve as a blueprint for those folks out there who are considering uh, becoming an author or anything else, because that's one of the things that impressed me about the book is that it really does put the onus on individuals to say, like, you know, as opposed to sitting around and waiting for things to happen, how about start doing something? And I like the idea of basically yeah. do something, because as the old saying goes, you know, lead, follow, or get out of the way. <laughs> And uh, Macy Gray said a long time ago, get up, get out and do something. You know, you can't make it if you never try, you know, and a lot of people, we get on our knees, we pray and we meditate and but nobody's trying. You got to try with that thing that you are seeking is seeking you, you just got to meet it halfway. It's right there. I mean, that's how I feel, you know. <laughs> 
what you said about baby steps, I saw that in, in a chapter in your book. It, it, it's so true because in my in my work, that's the approach that I take. You know, I'm a project manager and I tell people, you know what, you got to take bites out of it. You can't just look at the whole, if you look at the whole project, it's going to overwhelm you. So you got to take, compartmentalize it and take little bites out of it, one bite at a time. And that's the same approach that you took with so you know, that, that really works. One of the other things that I wanted to ask you was uh, in terms of you published it through Amazon and you also did your audio through um, Amazon. Uh, how difficult was it to do business with them? Amazon, actually, um, they have a pay on demand. I'm just making sure I get my notes right. They have a pay on demand thing. So once I downloaded my book to Amazon, I can buy them wholesale at like $2 and something uh, a piece. But it's got to be in a certain format. Everything's got to be a certain format. So that part wasn't hard. And then um, if I sell through Amazon, it's, it's like a 60-40 split because they print on demand. You know, if, some, if somebody went to Amazon tonight and they ordered my book and they'll just print it on demand and I get like 60% of that. The audio part of it, that was the most difficult part to do because I had gone into a studio out here in West Hollywood and I spent a month in that studio and um, I thought the files were perfect for Amazon. I mean, because big studio, not big studio guys, but they, they know what they're doing. And it was multiple times they had to download and re-download the files, send them to Amazon. They kept saying, no, fix this file. It's too many seconds short or it's just little nitpicky things. So it took like a good year and a half to get it finally on uh, audio. But but the 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 book part, uh, the print on demand, that was pretty easy. Once it's formatted, they'll print it for you on demand. Did you do anything special promoting it? Because you said it did well for the first six, eight months, and then it just kind of fell off. Did you do any kind of special promotion? I did. Um, during that first uh, six, when I first got my first copies, there was a New York uh, Book Exchange Expo at the Jacob Javits Center in New York City. So we packed up, you know, I bought a big booth space with a big banner and all that kind of stuff. And that's how I got a lot of publicity back then. And that was really expensive. But I got people, thousands of people were coming through. They could e at least see the book or pick up a flyer or get a couple of copies. So that's how it did well the first time because I just got it out in front of people. The website was everywhere. And then, of course, there was Facebook uh, back then. All right. We want to thank our special guest, Kevin Jiggets, the author of Stop Your Effing Whining. He indeed, as you can see, is our positive black business story of the week because we want to encourage you to get out and get the book and use it and share it with others because it is a, a, a really good tome that will focus you on getting out of your own way and making some things happen. So we want to give our heartfelt thanks to Kevin for joining us today. And we hope that he'll come back and be with us again as he continues on his other endeavors. Like I say, he's got a lot of uh, movie and film credits out there. So look him up, Google Kevin Jiggets, J-I-G-G-E-T-T-S, and you will see a lot of information out there. So that's it for another edition of The Brothers Talk. Remember, as always, that you can follow us at The Brothers Talk on Twitter, The Brothers Talk on Instagram, and the Facebook group of the same name. And if you want to go long form with us, there is thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. We just can't thank you enough for, again, spending some time with us and imparting, as we always say, let's do better today, because that's all we really have. Thank you, brothers.